0: Uh, the title for this morning's sermon is Make Up Your Mind. Make Up Your Mind. You know, during your lifetime, you've probably, probably received a lot of advice in your life. Advice that may be as small as you're at a new restaurant and you haven't been here and you want to know what's, what's the dish to order. And so you call and you ask somebody who probably knows what that restaurant is serving and what they serve well and what they don't. Some advice may, as big as, may be as big as how to deal with a heavy situation, a, a, a very heavy topic, raising children. You know, what's your advice on, on this age that, that my, my children find themselves in? Maybe, maybe you're seeking advice on, on whether or not to consider moving, maybe, maybe your home, maybe your job. And advice may come solicited. Right? You may have asked somebody for their thoughts and opinions because you see wisdom in them. You see that they would give you a level-headed uh, advice or, or, or opinion. And maybe, obviously, you think that they know, what they know what they're talking about, which is why you sought advice. But on the other hand, some advice comes to you unsolicited. You know, that advice may be uh, somebody that, uh, that you didn't ask for their thoughts or their opinions, but boy, do they love to give them. Maybe they're also somebody, as you think and they talk, this person has no idea what they're talking about. You know, what do you think and what do you do with advice when you get it? You know, it seems like uh, just over the past few weeks I've been talking with folks and studying with people simply about this topic of what do I do with advice? Uh, How do I know which ones to take, which one not to take? By what means am I filtering my advice to affect me in my decision Making And even beyond that, when I take that advice, how do I go about putting that into action, right? And so my prayer this morning is that we are siphoning, think about that, siphoning advice through godly wisdom. We are taking advice from people about our daily lives and we are filtering it through what we realize is godly wisdom. We are asking people who are godly about situations hoping that they'll give us godly advice. We're going to the Bible to seek what God has to say, therefore giving us godly advice. And so at some point, when we have that advice, we've got to make a choice, right? We've got to make a decision, hence the title for this morning's sermon. We we reach a time and a place where we've got to make up our mind. You know, I love my wife to death. Uh, but I'm going to put her a little bit on the spot this morning, as I normally do in sermons. But, you know, my wife has this habit of not knowing what she's going to order at the drive through Even though she's been staring at the menu for about 10 minutes. And I remember asking her, are you ready? Oh, yeah, go ahead. And we get to her, and we all order, and, we get to, and, and finally all of us go through, and we get to her, and she says, I just don't know what to order. Or maybe there's some, some times in which we're able to, 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 to decide what outfit to put on. I remember my younger brother, we would get teased when we were growing up because before we actually went outside to go to school or to go to whatever event, we had had three, 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 three different outfits. And my dad would say, man, make up your mind. What are you going to wear? Let's get going. It's time to go. And so all throughout life, we, we, we kind of find ourselves kind of dabbling between a few options. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's not new, it's not rare. But church, sometimes we find ourselves spiritually doing the same thing. We find ourselves saying, yes, yes, I'm ready to give my life to God. And I'm ready to, to become that, that disciple that, that I've always longed to be. And we're on that road for just a bit. And I find myself dabbling in other types of wisdom. I find myself falling back and, and maybe I'm making decisions based on how I feel or what I think or what I prefer, therefore making myself that standard again, which was already hopefully taken care of. And so we're faced with that time to make decisions, right? Time is up. Quit beating around the bush and make up our mind. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's many ways that we can approach this text, but I simply want to do so by focusing on verse number 21, which if you are a Bible marker, uh, Mark chapter. Uh, mark this, verse 21 of this chapter, because you have this people of Israel. They've already seen and witnessed and heard about all the great things that Yahweh has done, and yet they continue time and time again to be dabbling in different, uh, in different situations with other gods, with other beings, with other ways of living. And Elijah finally gets to, to the point, and notice what he says in verse 21 of chapter 18. Elijah came near to all the people, and he simply asked them, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? How long are you going to stop kind of, you know, leaning to one side and then changing your mind and going to it? How long are you going to be kind of dabbling between the two? Either either you're going to follow God, or you're going to follow somebody else. But make a choice. Make a decision. Uh, the word here literally means to kind of limp by something, and so I'm researching this word, and, and it's 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 a different word. It's a unique word. It's literally kind of means to pass by very slowly. It's the same word that's used when the Bible talks about the Passover meal or the Passover festival that the Jews would celebrate, and so I'm studying. So I'm like I know the I know the perfect illustration. Does anybody like buffets in here? No? Absolutely. Generally speaking, we have a larger attendance on Pollock Sundays. Right? Which is, to a degree, a buffet. You ever notice what somebody does with their plate as they're walking along? Hmm. No. Wait. But that motioning of passing by slowly and... Should I? Yeah, it's what we do at the buffet line. We, we're, undis- we're indecisive. We don't know what to choose. They all look good, right? Yeah. I know whatever Wacy made, that's the first thing that's going on my plate when we, when we have potluck Sunday. But that's the idea, is the imagery of I haven't made up my mind what I'm going to do. Am I going to follow God? Because when things are going right, it feels like the right decision. But when things are going wrong and I begin to have that doubt, oh, I don't know if I chose the right thing. I don't know if I chose the right religion. I don't know if I chose the right standard. So I'm going to change and I'm going to make myself the standard or I'm going to return back to the way in which I did before. Other faith groups, other uh, types of of ways of living, other uh, pagan religions, other denominations. I mean, you name it, I'm dabbling between more than one. And Elijah presents a question before us, which I believe is the central uh, question at the entirety of the entirety of the gospel. After you've heard the message, after you've considered the facts, you've weighed out what is said, you've studied things to see if they were true, to some degree, at some point in time, it comes time for you to make that decision. You may remember, Peter was confronted with this same question in Matthew 16 in verses 13 through 16, where in the Bible it says, Now when Jesus came to a district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who who, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, and they responded and said, Well, some say, you know, John the Baptist. Others, they're saying you're Elijah. and, And still others, maybe Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he asked them, Who do you say that I am? See, that's the same question that Elijah puts forth between, before the people, just phrased a little differently. Who do you say that God is? If you say that He is creator, ruler, and sustainer of the universe, then live like it, church. Let's live like it. Let's not say one thing, but act the other. Let's not proclaim our faith and our discipleship to one, and then live anything but that commitment. You may remember the question that John confronts his readers with, In the Gospel of John, in chapter 20 and verse 30 and 31, where John says, Therefore many signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, many of which are not written in this book. But these, what are recorded in the Gospel, he says, are written so that you may believe that at some point when the reader reads through the Gospel of John, John says, I've written this in a way that you as the reader would ultimately be faced with the question of what do I do with these supposed facts? What am I going to do with it? Either I'm going to choose to say, I believe it, I see it, I've tested it, I've studied it out, therefore I choose to follow. If that's so, then praise God. But if I'm still half-hearted, if I still don't know, if I am still finding myself uncommitted, what can God do with that person? Which is why in Revelation, he gets after the, the church that is lukewarm. This is the, on the outside, you look like Christians, but inside, you're anything but. You're not working, you're not helping, you're, you're like that lukewarm water. Who here likes lukewarm water? I remember just a few weeks ago, we were out knocking doors, and then those Bear Valley guys, they, they were hard workers, but, man, they were not used to They're like, man, it's so hot. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's cool. It is nice and cool here. You know, at night, a lot of us were wearing sweaters and coats. They're just like, wait, well, you guys are weird. You know, this is too hot to have anything on. But they were out there. Guess what we wanted at the end of the day when we had been knocking doors all day, walking from house to house on the Reds? Ice cold water. I didn't want any of that lukewarm stuff. We either like things hot or cold, and that's the same with God. Are you committed? Are you committed? Are you are you so uh, you've made the decision that that you are set and you know where you're going? If so, then great. But make up your mind. Make up your mind. Right. This is the same question that John or Jesus asks in John chapter seven when you see the crowds had a difference in opinion about who Jesus really was in John chapter seven. Uh, when you get some time I want, maybe you could go through there and, and really kind of just think about those responses that, that Jesus was getting. Well, yeah, there were a lot of positive responses that yeah, he, he's more than just a prophet. He, he's, he's God. And then you had the next person say, "Well, no, he can't be." And so at the end of it, in John chapter seven and verse 24, here are the words of Jesus, He says, "You've got to judge." But do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgments. In context, he's saying you need to judge. You need to choose. You need to decide on who you think Jesus is. If you decide he's the Son of God, then you, you better follow him. Because if not, you will regret that for eternity. You take the facts, you test it, and then you make the decision. In other words, after you've weighed out all the evidence, it's time to make a decision about who God is. So that's what we find ourselves in, in 1 Kings chapter 18. And, and for those who are familiar with the passage, you know the story that you have Elijah. And um, I love the way that it states this in, in uh, 1 Kings 18 and verse 17. When this King Ahab, right, I think of him in my mind as the wimpy king. That's how I think of Ahab, just the wimpy king. You know, he's kind of pushed around. Uh, the wimpy king that's married to the, most, to the meanest lady in the whole world, Jezebel. You know, the most evil lady in the whole world. That's how I think about those two. And it says, When Ahab uh, saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> it reminds me of those men who accused the disciples in Acts and said, You're the men who turned the world upside down. You're, you're those guys that just causing trouble, right? Which, in a, in a, in a way, that, that's, that's who we are. We're, we're swimming upstream. We're called to live according to God's plan and not the world's plan. So as a result... We're going to be different. We ought to live by a different set of rules, by a different set of ideas and ways of thought. And so he says that to, to, uh, to Elijah. And Elijah says, well, I came here to basically tell you one thing. We're going to get down to the final point here. We need, we need to really figure out who's, who's real, who's the ultimate God and who isn't. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to go back to Je- uh, Jezebel, and you're going to gather 850 prophets of Baal. You're going to, 850 Then we're going to meet at this Mount Carmel. And when we meet at Mount Carmel, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up two altars. One's dedicated to Baal. Your prophets are going to prepare that. We're going to sacrifice an ox and put it on there, but don't light it just yet. Do not light it. You prepare yours, I'll prepare mine, and then we're going to see whose God is best. We're going to see. And so, you know, the story goes on and and basically uh, they set up their altar. They're there at Mount Carmel and nothing happens. And I love what Elijah says. He kind of provokes, he kind of pokes in there, which I don't know if that's what we ought to do, but that's what the prophet Elijah does. He says in chapter 18, in verse number um, 26, read with me. And then they took the ox, which was given them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning. Notice the time frame. They start in the morning. They begin calling on their God. Oh, Baal, answer us. A den. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about noontime. Hours had passed. A den. Nothing had happened. And Elijah did what? Oh, man, I find myself right here. He began mocking them, saying, call out with a louder voice. Maybe your God, he's, he's probably busy right now, you know? Your, your, your God's probably, he's probably gone away on a, on a short trip. Maybe he made a, a, a quick trip away. He just can't hear you. Maybe, maybe he's on an, a journey, or, or maybe he's even asleep. You see him kind of poking. Call on him louder. Be louder. Maybe he's just not hearing you. Maybe he needs to be awake. So they cried, verse 28, with an even louder voice. And they began to even cut themselves, according to their custom, with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. See how desperate they were for their God to answer? And when midday, verse 29, was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening, all day, nothing from their God, Baal. But there was no voice and no one answered, and then no one paid attention. And so what Elijah's going to do in verses 30 through 35 is he's going to basically, it seems like what they did kind of messed up his altar. So he kind of goes to his altar, reshuffles it, get every, gets everything set, and he has this discussion with God. And God says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pour, all, pour water on my altar. You know what? Pour water again a second time. You know, let's do it three times. Pour a third time water. Drench my altar because we know water and fire Don't do well together. God wants to make a statement here. Verse 36, And at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God. Amen? Church, today that is our mission. To let the world know who is God. He says that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. Notice even the dust was burned up and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, Yahweh, He is God. The Lord, Yahweh, He is God. when you think about what we are challenged to do as believers, all of us, at one time or another in our life, had to get the facts and the evidences and decide, when I've considered enough, I had to make a decision. And to an extent, some would even argue, every single day that same choice needs to be made. I had a brother in Christ that, uh, alongside me at Bear Valley, and he preached a sermon that I remember to this day. He said he was taught as a young man two things, make up your bed and make up your mind. He said he lives by those two very, two very phrases. Every single morning he wakes up, he said, make up your bed and make up your mind. And he was told that make up your mind portion is decide who you're going to be today. Right now, decide who you're going to be today, because too often we let the day dictate who we are going to be. If there are mishaps, if there are things, inconveniences, guess who I turn out to be? Anything but Christ-like. I've allowed my situation to dictate me. Rather than having made the choice that I'm going to be like my Lord Jesus as best as I can today, better than I was yesterday, guess what? We dictate the day. So when you have somebody say, I hope you have a day, great day, in my mind I'm saying, I'm gonna make a great day. I'm gonna make it. Because there are blessings found everywhere. Because I've decided to make a choice. I don't know if any of you follow sports. You know, I had to I had to throw a sports analogy in at some point, right? <laughs> One of my favorite players of all time, any sport, is Kobe Bryant. And before I hear the moaning and the growing, hear me out. His mindset. I loved his mindset. It was not going to stop him to achieve what he was going to achieve. And if you watch old interviews of him, there's an interview where he's asked, I've heard stories of you, Kobe, where practice starts at 8 a.m., but by 8 a.m., you've already had two individual practices. You've come in at 3.30, you've worked out for an hour and a half, you went home, ate breakfast, came back again for a second session, Now the team is practicing for the first time of the day. This is his third practice. And he had done that through the the duration of his career, over 20 years in the league. Kobe, how did you do that? How did you you make up your mind about, about how you were going to do that? He says, you know what? I said, I told myself from the very beginning, when my parents started sacrificing time, money, and energy to put me in these camps, sacrifice family things for my success, he said, I already signed the deal. I signed the deal. The deal was made not that morning that I didn't want to get up, not the day where things seem like they're crumbling and and I'm kind of trying to re-decide on what to do. He said, the deal was already made. It's just time to follow through. Another guy by the name of Nick Bear, who's who's an uh, ultra-triathlon runner and athlete. Nick Bear, you might want to look into him. He's fascinating, very encouraging. But he said, I'd like to think about it, discipline, as a light switch. And I think about a light switch as if I go up to it. Anytime I decide to do something and I say, "Okay, I'm going to follow through. This is what I'm choosing to do. It's like I'm flipping that light switch on. And he said, but before I leave mentally, I break off that light switch. That little nub that sticks out, I turn it on and I break it. So there's no way for me to go back and turn it off. Wow. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Have you decided? If you decided, then there's no need to go back and reconsider. There's no need to go back and live another, another way. And so that's what, that's what God does. He gives us the ability to choose. You know what happens in Genesis chapter 2, right? When first man and first woman were given the freedom to choose. The Bible says that uh, God makes man out of, and, uh, out of dust and then breathes life into his nostrils. And man, Adam is there. And after Adam, he creates this garden and he puts every, all kinds of trees in there. But specifically two were added. The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And we know that God is all-knowing. We know that God is all-powerful. We know that God is everywhere at once. And so he still puts the tree in there. He knew what was going to happen. They were going to fail at obeying him, and they were going to eat of the forbidden fruits. Did God know that was going to happen? Absolutely. So then the question is posed, if God knew that they were going to fail, why did he put the tree in the garden to begin with? Why did God, if he knew Eve was going to fall victim to deception by the serpent, why would he put the tree in the garden? He gave us the ability to choose. He gave us free will, church. That means this, that God loves us so much. Watch this now. God loves us so much that he would give us the decision to not love him back. God loves you and me so much, he gives us the choice to not love him back. He knows that the majority of His creation is going to deny Him and follow their hearts and walk down the wide road. He knows that. Do you think it hurts Him? Absolutely. But it's worth it for the narrow road. For those, the few that take it, it's worth it. For God. He was kindly willing, Ephesians chapter 1, to give of his son for that sacrifice. And so God loved man so much that he gave him the ability to choose. And so every morning when we wake up, we have that choice, thanks be to God, to choose who am I going to be today? And as a result, last point, if we choose the Lord, then it's time for us to put away everything that keeps us from living like him. Turn your Bibles to the final passage this morning, which is found in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 14. One of my favorite passages. You're like, you say that about every passage, and that's probably true. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14. Because the belief that you can live a godly life and still pledge your allegiance to everything else, I think is a lie straight from the devil. In other words, you can proclaim to be a Christian, but live a life, anything but Christ. That, that, is, that does not hold weight. Here's what Joshua says, starting in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Notice this list here, number one. Fear the Lord, and then serve Him. <laughs> why, would I, why in the world would I serve God? Because I know, and I realize, and I've weighed the evidence of what God has done, therefore, I fear him, I'm in reverence of him, I'm in awe of him, therefore I serve him, number two. But do so in sincerity and truth. And number three, which is where we find ourselves, put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He goes on to say in verse 15, if it is disagreeable in your sight, notice this choice again, if, it's, if you find it disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today who you will serve. Choose today who you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me, huh, as for me, Joshua says, my house is going to serve the Lord. I know there are several Christians in here. You may be the only Christian in your family. You may be the first generation Christian in your family, as am I in a lot of ways. And it is tough to stand up for your faith. But the Bible is going to ask us the same question it asks every single person that enters into it. Who do you decide to follow? And when we decide to follow... Our commitment, God will supply everything necessary to stay obedient. He will bless me in all ways, but I've got to stand up. And as far as my response to folks that do not believe what I believe, that's fine. I feel sorry for you, but I respect that decision. But as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. That's what we're doing. We've decided, we've made it up. We've hit the light switch on. We've we've, we've destroyed the switch and it stays on. We're committed. And that's what we ought to do to challenge one another is you committed. When you went down uh, into the waters of baptism, you committed to die to yourself. People who struggle with their faith on going and leaving the church and falling away, you committed. That covenant, God didn't force you to do it. You decided on your own. So why do you find yourself basically that buffet line of unsure where to go and who to go to? That's, that's not what you did. Paul would say it in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 uh, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm not, lo- I'm not the Lord of my life. I'm not the God of my life anymore. And so Joshua challenges the people. Dropping down to verse number 22, Joshua says to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Verse 23, now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and open your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Church, this morning's encouragement is to consider the choice you made when you decided to die to self. When you became a Christian, you made a pledge. That's what the, covenant, the word covenant means. You're entering into a contract relationship with God and you said you were going to be faithful to Him, so often we find ourselves living unfaithfully. So my challenge to you is to remember that commitment you gave to Him and use that as motivation to get others to see that commitment in you. You shine that light. If you're not a Christian, if you have not heard the gospel, repented of your sins, died to yourself in baptism and come back up, you haven't entered into any agreement with God. You haven't yet. If you're sitting here saying, I've been here for a while, but I'm just not ready. What are you you waiting for? What what are you waiting for? A message from God, guess what? You just heard it. You just heard it. That was your sign. If you're waiting for a sign, that was your sign there. It's time to commit. We can find water somewhere. We've baptized people in all kinds of places. At the canal, in a horse trough, Josh's pool, in a bathtub. Wherever there is water, the eunuch said in Acts chapter 8, we can put you, through the grace and power of God, into that relationship with him. And when you sing the song, what can wash away my sins, has a whole new meaning. Nothing but the what? Blood of Jesus. If this is a time for you to respond to the invitation, if you need help or study, as our song leader comes on up, please come and let us help you and give you a Bible, question, a Bible answer for your Bible questions. If This time is for you.